This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. All right, here we go, y'all. It's been, this is one of the biggest pauses in the Breaking Normal podcast. I think the last one was with another local guy, Grant Cherry. Uh, great guy, great podcast. Check that one out. He's a guy that walks the talk. Like, you look pretty fit. He does, he does things like one-arm handstands, one-arm pull-ups. And he like trains people in movement, and and we talked about movement memes. Nice. I'm I'm here tonight with uh, Robert Rebick, and I'm a little on tilt, <laughs> a little on tilt. I just want to, as Robert here has his uh, shirt here. What does it say? I will not comply, and it's from Awaken with JP. And guess what? Who was the first guest uh, on this Breaking Rule podcast? JP Sears. Nice. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh yeah. Well, welcome to the schedule of this show called Synchronicity. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm on edge because my horn. I drive a Ford Edge 2016. Great vehicle, all-wheel drive all the time. It has a little turbo in it and everything. But it's quite computerized. And um, some it had, it's had these little like weird, almost seemingly viruses, <laughs> like in the computer. And uh, <laughs> this, this one is crazy. Like this one cracked my brother up allegedly. I was talking to him today, and not allegedly, he was really joking around. It was, it was really tickled by this. But my horn goes off. My horn just, some, it's like it's, people think I'm just pressing the horn as long and, um, yeah, as long and hard as possible. And, and I just, I'm hitting it to try to make it stop. And it usually stops. It usually does. But there's been a couple times, like once in the National Grocery parking lot, like 70 seconds of blowing the horn full blast. And people are looking They're at, sitting there watching you hit the horn. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like trying to say like, I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I don't know what to do. And it, like, for instance, it happened. It hasn't happened in a long time, but it started happening today again. And right before we were about to press record on this podcast, we heard the horn howl it was loud yeah it's funny what do you think do you have any thoughts about that like at all i'm curious well there's a switch on your steering wheel that pushes in on and off so so we could find that switch and do something about it did you spill a mocha when you're driving some time on it i know i know one time i did hit it pretty hard i hit the horn pretty hard kind of like a well, punch i, I think they're meant to <laughs> take a good punch yeah and then but after that like it stayed there and then like six months later like started doing this like thing again and then like three months later and now here we are tonight yeah well tonight <laughs> one of the things i think i want to i'm here to talk to you about based on the um synchronous evening we had the about a week ago with our mutual friend and current podcast guest or previous podcast guest uh jeremy shalman i think the name of the episode is make orwell fiction again that's a good one i don't know if you've listened to that one that's a I fun one uh, still applies today. And uh, we were sharing oysters, and I, I met you. And not only are you wearing this shirt about, about I will not comply, but um, you are what I would, I jokingly described as a Bitcoin evangelist. And I don't know if it's a joke, actually. <laughs> yeah, when you called me that, I had to go Google the term. I was like, oh, that's some like weird religious term. I don't know if I really like it. But, hmm. you know, the third definition of evangelist is um, someone who's really into their hobby. 
mm-hmm. and is a big advocate of a hobby. Mm-hmm. And so I'll agree with that definition. Yeah, I meant in a pretty, I meant in a pretty positive way. Like, yeah. but it was, it was interesting because with the way you were talking about Bitcoin, did have like a philosophical element to it, and it did remind me more of like a, almost like, wow, this is like a borderline religion for some people. And I'm like, this is interesting. That not, made it more interesting for me. Not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're definitely, <laughs> I think, going to talk about that. Um, but I am curious, it, what's the perf- that shirt? What does that shirt mean to you? Because JP, JP means a lot to me, and I love that you're wearing that shirt here tonight. It looks good. That's a sharp shirt. You know, yeah, to me, you, it you're specifically means the, the latest COVID policies where we're forced to mask and vaccinate. And, you know, I will not comply to that, but I'll comply in respecting my neighbor and, you know, other people's property and other people's opinion. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's real relevant to the masking and the vaccination. And my understanding of the little bit I know about you and how Jeremy described me to you is you may have been doing a, some, a different lifestyle and then you may have not complied and are now creating a new lifestyle. Is that true? Yeah, Somewhat? correct. I was, I was working on the details of that. I'd be curious because I don't even know for myself. Yeah, so I, I just kind of go fast. I, I went to school as an electrical engineer and got a master's degree in it, uh, specializing in electromagnetic theory. Um, I moved to Boulder for a job where I had been working since this, or sorry, November 5th, 2021. And, you know, I had a really good career. I was designing equipment for commercial and military vehicles, mainly radar systems, um, a lot of electronics, a lot of antenna design. And everything was swell. You know, COVID hit. I had an uncle lose a job. I was looking at myself. I was like, wow, I get to sit home and be on my computer and have everything I need. I'm getting paid very well. Um, I don't really have to deal with COVID. I'm at my house. And then all of a sudden, things really started shifting when the vaccine came out. And, you know, I wasn't complicit to it. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, you know, I get my kids vaccinated and I have the other vaccines. Um, It's just specifically this one and the way it came with force. And, you know, the risk of COVID versus getting the shot and my age group and all that stuff didn't add up for me. I'm very logical and I'm also very stubborn in that way. And, you know, my work would be like, hey, we'd like to see your proof of vaccination card. And, you know, I just didn't respond and I just kept not responding. And I had my yearly review. I got a raise because I was a good employee. You know, everything was going good. And then Biden put his mandate in. November 5th came around. I was essentially forced out of the company. Um... I actually didn't fire, get fired. I resigned on my own terms and left. And I've just kind of been a stay-at-home dad ever since then. That's that. And to like frame the whole thing, I have been looking for this kind of lifestyle the whole way. And it turns out that COVID just provided it for me. It kind of was the, the linchpin that forced me to get out. If I had it my way, I'd still be do, being a remote contractor with the company working, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours a week because I liked what I did. But even if I was a 100% remote employee working from my home office, never seeing another human being, I had to be vaccinated or leave my job. Yeah, that part really is trippy. You said that. Can you repeat that last part again? That Even if you work remotely at home with no like quarantine. Yeah, so I had a, I had a shed essentially where I had a computer and Ethernet and a heater and all this stuff. And I'd work in there eight hours a day. And I didn't see anyone. I interacted with all my colleagues and other coworkers remotely over Microsoft Teams uh, over the phone. And it could have gone on for a long time that way. I was getting my work done. My employer was happy. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting in this box by myself and I had to be vaccinated. It just didn't make any sense because in my eyes, it wasn't about my health or someone else's health. It was about compliance. 
And if you know anything about me, I'm very non-compliant to things like that. Well, yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, in the I face have... of authority. You know, and I want to frame that and say I'm very respectful to people and I always treat people with the most, uh, the most respect I can give them. I don't like to be an asshole. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, 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 I love that uh, harmony as well. Harmonizing yeah. respect. Yeah. That's because that's exactly what we were talking about before this was the horn. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, the horn doesn't bother me that much, but I do have neighbors that live very close. And I'm like, I have so much respect for them. Mm -hmm. I might have to go move this car if it keeps going, but it hasn't happened again, which I, uh, hey, respect. <laughs> respect you crazy computer or whatever is toying with your well if it keeps going on maybe we can take a look at it <laughs> yeah i'm pretty handy with that kind of stuff okay so. yeah it sounds like you are it sounds like you are so wow and so the, you so that's true I, I just can't believe that's true like i haven't met too many people where this was a real situation where yeah and my so 80 percent of the work we did as a company was government-based contracts and about 20 percent was for the commercial market so the vaccine mandate was for federal employees and when that came out, I was like, great. Well, I want to be a remote contractor anyway. I'll drop my relationship with the company as a full-time employee. I'll work remote and I, they can bill me hours and all that stuff. And I can fill the holes in their projects because I'm very experienced at it. I know what I'm doing. Very proficient at my job. Very good at what I did. But that just wasn't an option. It was get the vaccine as you get two, two of the doses or you're done on November 5th. And ironically, I lost my job on November 5th, 2021. If you've ever seen V for Vendetta, it's November 5th, November 5th. So that was like, whoa. I'm pretty sure it's a coincidence, but. Oh, I mean, that's what I would call synchronicity. Synchronicity. For there you sure, go. man. <laughs> Welcome again. Thank you, synchronicity, for being here. That is trippy. Uh, v for, how, did, how does V for Vendetta, what does that movie mean to you? And how does that fit into this? It's essentially a parallel to what's happening right now. I, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's essentially about you know government tyranny and a medical author authoritarianism, government, um, you know, enforcing mandates and stripping the rights of people. You know, it's a kind of a dark themed movie, and there's kind of a a superhero who comes out every November fifth and blows up a parliament building or some government building and demonstrates, you know. The people are in control. You know, this reminds me, like, I think Outbreak, have you seen that movie? Mm -hmm. I think that may have been released. I would like a, this is where we, I would get a fact checker, rough, rough, fact check this. Um, I may have been like 10 years to the date, the day that like the national crisis was declared by Trump. Oh, wow. That's the, interesting. The, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it if, does it mean. Anything? You mean Outbreak, the older movie with the monkey? Uh, the, no, 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 no. Sorry, not that one. The one where they're coughing over each other is like starts in the casino. Contagion. Is that the one? Is it Contagion? It's like with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, it comes from a pig at the end or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's that. called. <laughs> I think it's called Contagion. <laughs> Either way, we got that's rough, rough. But you'll get on that fact check later, early enough. Yeah, that has some really odd parallels to some of the yeah, things was, that are happening. Oh here. yeah, it does for sure. That, and that's why I was like ten years to the date. What the heck? I was like, I just, that's notable. Don't let me, I'm not, Yeah. don't call me a conspiracist. I just want to note that. Oh yeah. <laughs> 10 years of the day. And it might not have been, it's something around that. So I would like to look more into that. But anyways, 
Did you see the thing with uh, speaking of like fact checking all these funny little things we're talking about? The Joe Rogan thing recently with the oh, yeah. Neil Young debate. Oh yeah. What's your opinion on that? Holy moly! I would vote for Joe Rogan for president. You know. Uh, hey, hey. I, I love Joe Rogan. I, I think he's a very level-headed person who speaks his mind. He doesn't always get the truth straight, but if he doesn't, he'll come admit it. He presents a counter narrative to the main narrative. And for some reason in today's culture and society, that's illegal to do and very offensive to people. Um, I watched every one of the Robert Malone and the other doctor he had on there. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough. Peter McCullough. You know, maybe they have a little bit of it wrong, but I definitely subscribe to that view much more than I do the other. I've never been, you know, on the normal side of things. Yeah. I've always been friction towards that and kind of breaking off in my own branch of thoughts. And you know, that was really why I probably found Bitcoin in the first place is because I had that kind of mindset. Man, Joe Rogan for president. That's like a nice... We've had like... I've caught a few phrases for the evening so far with my notepad here. It's like, stay at home, dad. Joe Rogan for president. Yeah. <laughs> a counter narrative. Is that what you said? Counter narrative. Counter narrative. Yeah, that seems very important today with like the algorithms that have arisen in yeah. the most popular social media, right? Yeah, yeah, you need a counter narrative, and a counter narrative doesn't mean someone's just telling lies. And you know, we've labeled it misinformation, but who's to say what's information and what's not? I mean, you can't even really trust the science really anymore because people have used trust the science and believe in the science so much. I don't even think people know what they're talking about. Some of the people that tell me to trust the science seem like the most anti-science people I've ever heard of. It's weird, weird times. Really weird times. Okay, here's the big question for now. We'll see what comes next. How does Bitcoin tie all into all of this? And I wanted like I would love to share this with like my dad or like a or like a maybe like a up and coming seven year old young man entrepreneur. Yeah. Like how can we break this down from like you the know, simplest if, to the to the biggest to whatever you wherever like you boils, felt. It kinda like boils down to almost like the nine eleven incident. I I remember looking at the official story and kind of skimming through it. And it just, if you know anything about World Trade Center 7, it brings up a lot of questions. And that's as far as I'm going to go on that. You can go look at it yourself. You know, and then that's kind of when my mind was blossoming. I was young, young guy in college and 2008 comes around and didn't really affect me because I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything tied to the system. I was just kind of floating and I saw everyone else talking about it and dealing with it. And at that time, I started really questioning why did it happen? How was it that these banks got bailed out and didn't have to pay the price like a true capitalist society would let them fail? Um, you know, as my mom always told me, true capitalism is like a forest. There's no one there to prop up an old tree when it fails. It's just going to fall and let the new ones grow and take the sunlight themselves. So I started learning about 2008 and then it really just sucked me down the rabbit hole of what money is. And I just got into the history of money. I started learning about the dollar, just how the debasement happens, how it's literally just a societal construct. It's a number on a piece of paper that's issued by a central authority. And so I dove headfirst into gold and silver. I said, this is the only thing that governments can't just quickly make more of. It takes a lot of big trucks, big moving of dirt, unearthing of millions of tons of rock to pull out little flakes of gold and silver. And that's, that's the work you have to prove to pull the gold out and make it. And that's why it's a monetary asset that's lasted on this earth for 5,000 years. It still does. Um, 
But with the fiat world we live in, uh, the exchange rate of gold and silver can be easily manipulated by banks. They have total control of it. And I always knew there's something wrong with gold and silver. It was, it was my thing, but I just knew it was, it was, there's something wrong with it still. And that's about the time when I came and discovered Bitcoin. And it was almost like I've been defining Bitcoin in my head for these last several years. And then it just, I just found it online and I read the white paper and it just, I have a very uh, technological background. I can understand. I've read many scientific papers in my life. So I just, I just looked at it and most people look at Bitcoin and they step away and say, oh, that's a scam. It's too complicated. I don't get it. I was the opposite. I looked at it, hook, line and sinker. I knew exactly what it was. I knew the world was missing this from a scientific perspective. It wasn't just a new cute toy. It was a computer, uh, computer science innovation it's, it's a revolution that's starting. Um, and that's essentially how I came into it. And I guess to answer your question about being against the norm there, you know, I was a pretty early adopter of Bitcoin and I was the only one essentially. I'd go to work in 2013 and just, and there's the horn. Holy moly, y'all. I'm out. I'm processing something out loud. I mean, like I'm not, it's not a big complaint, but it's a lot of my nervous system because of the respect thing and the abrasiveness of a horn combined. So I just parked my car more on the street and we're going to go maybe take advantage of the synchronicity and look at it together after we at least conclude what we came here to <laughs> communicate about. I'm like, I want to take a silence and like, do I hear the horn? No, I hear, I heard the horn of uh, Robert calling back. Did you feel complete with what you were saying or did you have something? I mean, if there's something on your bubbling on your heart, I feel like there's a lot bubbling over here. I'll open my notebook and see if I can take a chill pill. Holy moly. Oh, the bubbling inside me could last eight hours of talking. Well, what, what do you think? That, if, you, uh, if you know me, I, I can talk to you about Bitcoin for eight hours. Well, the distillation, let's go back to that from the little kid to the grandpa. What do they do about this situation of Bitcoin? What are you doing about it? What do you mean the grandpa? Like uh, if my if like a seventy or eighty year old's listening to this right now, and well, they, they haven't heard much about Bitcoin, and it's like a new. I'm like I'm just like trying to keep that context. Yeah. So around the conversation, because I think some people get confused. Oh, it's very confusing. Um, and depending on who I'm talking to, I look at their age, and you know, if I'm talking to someone who's seventy years old, they have a different risk profile in their lives, right? They can't. It's not wise for them in their old age to take all of their money and stick it into Bitcoin. A, because probably they don't understand it. And B, it's, it's still super volatile. And if you need um, that money to live on and to retire on, you're kind of playing with fire. But if you're 20 years old, 30, 30 years old, it's incredibly risky not to own a portion of Bitcoin. It's more risky. Like when I see someone who's like my age and they're all sitting in dollars, I'm like, wow, you're pretty risky. Like you're tied to all the stock market, to the entire dollar system. And you don't have any uh, deleveraging of this risk bubble that's coming. And you don't, you don't own any of that. Um, so if you're a 70-year-old person, I would go learn about it. I'd, I'd digest some YouTube videos. And maybe you don't need to understand the full thing, but you know, take a lot of our words on it, a lot of Bitcoiners, and go buy a little bit, start playing with it. I mean, my father-in-law... You know, he's in his 60s and he's, I'd consider him one of the Bitcoin experts for his age. He's been in it for a while. He knows it. Um, he's asked me many questions along the road. And um, 
It's for your everybody. grandfathers? Or your father? No, my father-in-law. Your father-in-law. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. Hey, rough, rough, chill. Or like you know, my mother has been in Bitcoin since since I have, and I kind of strong armed her in the early days, and I said, "Mom, you have to give me some money, and I'm gonna go get you some Bitcoin because I'm gonna secure your future." So you created it, like you helped her with her start of Bitcoining. Mm-hmm. So how'd you? So how'd you? That's a great question. So how'd you? How'd, how'd you help your mom? Oh, how do I help so my mom? So someone else wants to help themselves, like you helped your mom. So this is back in 2013. I went to my mom and. I said, you know, I really understand Bitcoin. I understand it enough to know that it's a, a brand new emerging technology that's not some hype. It's not some uh, pyramid scheme. It's, it's really not controlled by anybody. It's truly decentralized and distributed. Um, I think you really need to deleverage yourself from the, your full retirement uh, asset class and put a little bit in Bitcoin because a little bit you put in Bitcoin, it's a little pie, little sliver on the pie chart right now that's going to open up and become 50%, 70% of your total net worth in dollars from just a little, a little bit. And you know, with that being said, that's not the whole point of Bitcoin. Um, I always say getting rich from Bitcoin is a side effect of it. That's kind of a, a side effect of Bitcoin. And not necessarily rich, but storing your wealth. And so I, you know, I, I went to Boise when I, she's from Boise, and I got a handful of cash from her and I had some connections here in Boulder and I just went and bought some Bitcoin from someone in cash and I put it on some paper wallets. They sat on paper wallets for years and now she's a hardcore Bitcoin or self-sovereign. She has it on her own hardware wallet, unconfiscatable, self-sovereign, um, completely censorship resistant, private. And at this point, it, you know, it's, a, it's a serious chunk of her investment. So for, um, for that person listening today, what would you suggest? Because we talked about this a little bit over dinner, like which wallet, like just buy it anywhere they can get it right now, how much ever they want, or should they like start with a foundation made of brick if they're really in it for the long term? It depends on your understanding of it. If, if you've already formulated what Bitcoin is to you and you're totally not convinced about it, well, maybe come talk to me because I can convince you otherwise. But if you're want to be playful and get out there and actually get some, I recommend just going to what I call a centralized exchange, buying some Bitcoin and just start learning about it. Because if you don't understand it, it's a whole new world. It's a, it's a, just a quantum leap from the kind of money we're dealing with today. But I would kind of, um, relate it to the finite amount of earth on finite of land on this earth. And there's been a land grab, you know, over the last several hundred years where people have accumulated all the land and it's scarce. There's none left. And right now the Bitcoin digital land grab is happening. You just need to get a piece of it. And what, and then what about the other coins? Um, Cause man, it can be overwhelming. Like I think we talked about that as well. Like someone goes on Coinbase might be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, so it's like almost so disorienting. I've, I've been with Coinbase since. Well, I've known about Coinbase since the beginning. I was a customer of theirs until they pivoted and went to all these altcoins. And when you log into Coinbase, you're just overwhelmed with all these other clones. And to put it simply, every other coin is essentially a copy of Bitcoin that has been weakened in some form. And maybe it gave it gave rose to some other strengths somewhere in the altcoin system, but. Bitcoin is a perfect balance of all three of these knobs that make Bitcoin what it is. And um, 
So Bitcoin was born in an immaculate conception on the internet. It was launched on a forum by an anonymous individual named Satoshi Nakamoto. It was put out there. Everybody laughed at this person because they said, no, 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 you can't solve this. It's called a Byzantine general's problem. This is a problem in computer science that has stumped researchers forever. They say, how can you make digital scarcity that can't be copied and transferred or debased without a centralized third party? And Satoshi got online in 2008 and said, hey, I did it. I figured out how to do it. Here's my scientific paper. I'm a terrible programmer. I made a first version of the software. The software really sucks. I need a really good programmer to actually make this work. But here's a theory. Here's a theory how it works. And this is it. And he left the project. And then let this, he let the internet develop Bitcoin to what it is today through this decentralized and distributed group of people who no one really controls it. If you look at, say, the Litecoin was the first altcoin that came out. Literally, Litecoin went to github.com, they copied the source code, they changed three of the economic rules of it, just little tiny changes in the code and launched it. And it was done by a guy named Charlie Lee. And so Charlie Lee created the Ethereum Foundation. So if you want to go to Ethereum and have something changed, well, you go to the Ethereum Foundation and essentially, you know, it's, it's not as centralized as like a company, but it's, it's more centralized than Bitcoin. Um, and all these other altcoins, essentially, they essentially have a group of people or a foundation at the core of the project who created it, right? So anyone who creates a digital coin now has, is tied to a group of people or a foundation who created it. So they're tied to a centralized third party. Bitcoin, there's no centralized third party. There's nobody you can call in front of Congress. There's no phone number to call. There's nobody. There's no marketing department. There's nothing. Um, you know, a lot of people don't agree with that and they love these altcoins and really what it comes down to is unit bias. They think they've missed the boat on Bitcoin. They don't understand Bitcoin for what it really is, how it's going to pave the way for freedom and humanity through a monetary fashion. They jump in and they say, oh, I missed the boat. Uh, I already missed the big gains in Bitcoin and I'm here for the wrong reasons. I'm here to accumulate a bunch of dollars and I'm here to just continue on this parasitic system that's, con that's uh, kind of pillaged our country for decades now. And Bitcoin is not like that. It is, it's its own thing. There's no third party or anybody to contact to change it. Um, so what it really comes down to is it's immutable. Um, for example, the Ethereum Foundation, like, I, I, you know, I don't really like the other coins from a philosophical reason or a monetary reason, but I don't, I don't hate them. Like, I have bought a couple altcoins before, but with always the idea in the back of my head that I'm going to flip it for more Bitcoin, not dollars. I want more Bitcoin. And most people who are in making these altcoins, they make them so they can try to take your Bitcoin. Because everyone who knows what's going on, they really know who the big daddy in the room is. It's Bitcoin sitting there. It is the relative basis to which everything else is valued around. So, yeah, when you look at like Ethereum, um, people say it's decentralized, but it's not. Um, they just changed the issuance and the cap of the coins, I don't know, a couple months ago or something through the Ethereum Foundation. So there's a group of people, programmers, who can change the economic uh, mechanisms of the coin and change it. Bitcoin is a beauty because it is immutable. No one's going to change any of the parameters. 
it's, it's kind of a long talk and it takes a lot of thinking about what's going on to really understand why Bitcoin, not shitcoin. Shitcoin meaning the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the proliferation of altcoins is, is somewhat painful to me because you're just creating the same system we, we built to break. Right, so you have this dollar system that just they can inflate. It's paper, it's monopoly money called fiat currency that doesn't have any ties to anything else. It's yeah, a social- for that term. What does fiat mean exactly for someone that doesn't know? Fiat is a kind of an IOU piece of paper. It's like a receipt for the dollar. Used to mean, hey, you have a dollar bill. Well, instead of carrying that dollar to the gold in your satchel or whatever your pocket, you can just give it to the bankers, we'll hold the gold, and you have a receipt, mm-hmm. and we'll give you currency. Now, in 1971, Nixon took us off the gold standard. So after 1971, the dollar was never, ever since then, he temporarily removed it from the gold standard, and it's never gone back. So today's money is based on nothing, really. And if, you, if you've paid attention, in 2021, we printed about 35% of all new dollars in the world. So it's unhinged. It isn't relative to anything. It's a fugazi. What's that? A fugazi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what altcoins are. Since you can create an infinite amount of altcoins, you're essentially, you have infinite debasement of the value of them. And you can kind of think about it like an era, right? You have, you have Bitcoin moving forward from its inception. And then you have every altcoin that splits off it and does its own thing. But you have Bitcoin just going. It will always be Bitcoin. It will never be anything else. You'll always have the main chain sitting there. And at the end of the day, that is the relative um, monetary system to which everything else is tied to. Hmm. And not only that, Bitcoin is a protocol. So when you launch your Chrome browser or your Internet Explorer or Safari or whatever you're launching to view the Internet, you're interacting with a system called TCP IP. And this is at the layer layer zero or one of the, the application stack. And this is the way computers transfer packets between each other. So mm-hmm. the, the language to which computers talk is called TCP IP. It's a common language that allows any computer to jump on the network and instantly communicate in its own fashion. Bitcoin is that for money. So Bitcoin is a protocol. It's a set of rules that allow people to communicate in a financial manner um, that's agnostic to any user. It is an instruction set. It's a protocol. It's there to be used. And it's very analogous to how the internet works. And if you fast forward all the way up from like the early 90s to today, there's only one internet protocol that functions globally, and it's TCP IP. There's no, there's no alt TCP IP. There's one. Because when you have one, you can get everything on a homogenous grid and make it super efficient. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, wow. I can see you rubbing your head there. It's oh no, I, lo- I love it. I love it. I love doing these podcasts because I imagine some of the questions that I would ask under this creative constraint would be communicating some things that would be really relevant for people to aim to understand and look more into where they're interested. Well, I guess the if you want to get a good message across, so reverse ten years ago, you sat there and worked an hour at a job, right? And say you earned twenty dollars in an hour. And you say, oh, I went to work today, not because I'd love to do my job. Well, maybe you do. But most people go into work to essentially store their time so they can exert it later. And they use a medium called dollars to do that in. They go to work, they earn 20 bucks, and they put it in their savings. If you don't invest that $20, well, in 10 years, 
that $20 is worth less in purchasing power. So you essentially maybe have to work an hour and a half now to get that same purchasing power. So what the inflation of currency does is it retroactively steals your time from you. They go back, when they inflate the currency supply and debase it, they go back in time and they steal that hour of your life and you have to work longer to get that same economic force. So in other words, you go to work to put your time and energy into a battery system called the dollar so you can go exert that battery's energy later. So you want to go on a vacation or hang out with your kids or take the day off or buy groceries, whatever it is. Bitcoin is a superior battery. It's like walking up to a caveman with his sticks and stones and giving him a Swiss army knife. Hmm. It's like, we're designing a monetary system that's not going to last 100 years. It's going to last 1,000 years. Was that noise something you own or me? Yeah. It must be, right? Because I'm like, I'm already on edge about the noises. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a new one. Yeah, <laughs> that's you, that is your phone, right? I'm just making silenced. sure. <laughs> but that wasn't the police. <laughs> it went off again. That's the weird. Swiss Army knife. The Swiss Army. So it seems it seems like one thing I'm hearing that some people might want to do is like consider making their savings account a Bitcoin account, or an account where they're holding they're investing in Bitcoin. Yeah. Is that how do you yeah, do you, it? What do you mean? How do you put dollars into it? Yeah. Like, do you have any strategies? That, you know, I, I yes, remember okay, that book, so, like Richest Man in Babylon. And I think there was like a specific strategy about like okay. putting 10% of all your, I forget exactly what it was said. But. So over the last eight to nine years, every person has this idea where they come up to you and they're like, is it going to go down further? Is, I want to buy Bitcoin. I'm going to wait till it bottoms and I'm going to buy the dip really hard right at the bottom. It doesn't work out. You're not going to time the bottom. You might get in low. But your emotions are going to come in and say Bitcoin's trading at $5,000 and you're like, I'm going to buy it at 1000 When it hits 1000 your emotions are going to tell you, no, I'm not going to buy it because it's crashing. What you do, and this is a proven strategy that works time after time, you dollar cost average your way in. You, on a consistent basis, purchase X amount of dollars of Bitcoin, whatever fits your uh, financial plan. Maybe it's $50 a month. Maybe it's $5,000 a month. I don't know what it is. Whatever you can afford to put in, do it. And you know, I always tell people that, well, I used to tell people, don't put in more than you afford to lose. And that's what I tell people for their own risk. For me, I put everything in Bitcoin. And I take dollars out when I need them. Because it's like, it's such a superior form of technology that if you understand it, you're like, why did I not even, why do I have anything in dollars? Obviously, I'm not looking at this like, well, yeah, you can't go buy gas with dollars. You can't go to Safeway, and, or sorry, Bitcoin. You can't go to Safeway and spend with Bitcoin. But neither, you can't go to Safeway and use your gold either. So that's an argument that's really um, false from the start. It's more, really, it's more of an energy storage system where you can, hold on to your financial uh, earnings and not have them debased by a centralized third party. And, and how are you, uh, is it possible to use like your Bitcoin as collateral for things? Is that like, yeah. So Bitcoin collateralized loans are just emerging. Um, we're starting to get big enough now that companies are offering Bitcoin loans, Bitcoin collateralized loans. And if you want to talk about pristine assets, Bitcoin is the most pristine 
collateral you could ever give a lender, right? Because you're giving them the raw Bitcoin as collateral for a dollar loan. And they, if you fail to pay your loan or something happens, they have your Bitcoin. It's pure, pristine collateral, as opposed to like giving them the title to your car, or your house, or some other assets they have to like send people over and get it and sell it, all this stuff. In the future, Bitcoin will be the most sought after collateral because it's settled instant. You have it. It's directly owned. There's no third party that owns it. It's pristine. So yes, you can get collateralized loans. So, you know, and someone like myself who is mostly in Bitcoin, if I want some dollars, I can go get a Bitcoin collateralized loan. That's fascinating. I mean, and there's risks with that, right? So, and this kind of opens a big door of a lot of questions. Um, so when you, so when you give someone else your Bitcoin, you don't own it anymore. You let up that control, and it's sitting in someone else's hands. And when you buy Bitcoin on a third-party or custodial exchange like Coinbase, your Bitcoin is sitting on their servers. You may have a tally in their database that says Daniel owns one Bitcoin, but until you actually pull it off Coinbase, you don't own it. And there's a saying in Bitcoin, it's not your keys, not your coins. So every Bitcoin is secured and held in the blockchain through a private key. And to access and move those coins, you have to have a private key, and that's called a seed. It's an interchangeable word, private key seed. When you buy it on Coinbase, you are trusting their security with your seed. When you, and you can leave it on there, right? You can trust the security professionals, but one day the government's probably going to come, you know, come to Coinbase like they did with gold and say, hey, give us all your, give us all your Bitcoin. And people like me are going to laugh because we hold our own keys. We have our own devices at home where we have our own keys that are generated that store our own Bitcoin. It gets, it's a rabbit hole. They call it a rabbit hole for a reason. It's a new financial paradigm we're entering. And sometimes I describe it like the Titanic crashing. We just hit the iceberg and you got to get on a life raft. Bitcoin's your life raft. The dollar system, I don't know how long it will go on. I don't know the outcome of it. Maybe we'll find a, uh, some kind of synchronicity in the future where people, are, people use dollars and quickly get rid of them, but don't keep them as savings. Right? Go talk to someone who's lived in Argentina or grew up. They lost like 90% of their savings due to hyperinflation. You worked for 30, 40 years, built up your savings, and the government comes around, debases the currency, and you just lost 60% of your life savings. Or you can look at that as they just took your life from you. They stole your time retroactively because for you to recoup that, you got to go work. There's a lot, there's a lot of um, open rabbit trails. Too. Bitcoin is a highly multi-interdisciplinary um, topic. It really can grab all the different topics and like I can really Bitcoin almost anything. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that with like surfing sometimes no. or like um, poker. Yep. Seems like be, have you ever played poker? No, I used to love poker a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There seems to be a lot of metaphors for that. Like have you seen Rounders by any chance? Mm -mm. A Rounders? Is that the movie? Yeah, it's a great Maybe movie. Maybe I have seen it. With... Um, Oh man, Matt Damon and uh, yeah, what's that's what I'll watch later tonight. And the other cool guy, he's so cool. He's the guy that was in Fight Club, Edward Norton. Mm, okay, yeah, Edward Norton and Matt Damon. That's kind of and oh, yeah. I used to have my poker buddies and in college played it all, like every Friday night, but you know, not so much anymore. Was that um, No Limit Texas? Texas, Hold Texas Hold'em No Limit. Yeah. yeah, that seems to be the most, yeah, 
<laughs> the fierce it's, way or it's something. It's the fierce, like, it's the all-in way. Yeah, the all-in way. Yeah. The all-in way. Yeah, you know, but, but my advice to anyone who's sitting on the sidelines is to just to really ignore all the altcoins. Just ignore, don't even let it take your mental capacity. Um, <laughs> get into Bitcoin. You're not too late. If you think you've missed the boat, it's because you have unit bias. That means... You know, you're looking at one unit of Bitcoin that's trading at $38,000 versus one unit of XRP that's trading at like 30 cents or whatever it's at. So people are like, well, I could get like 10,000 XRP, but I can't even get a Bitcoin. Oh, that's funny. That's called unit bias. That's called unit bias. That makes perfect sense. And a lot of people suffer from it and it doesn't make any sense mathematically or statistically. I can see how it makes sense psychologically though. Psychologically. Yeah. You know, and that's what, there's not very, so people call us Bitcoin maximalists. We're like, really into Bitcoin. You know, we're aware of all the other stuff, but we don't really buy it. Like I see all the other stuff as cute little toys. Like I see Ethereum as a cute little toy. Yeah, there's that cool. All, that means that, that, isn't that what the NFT market is tied to? And that's My like- brief understanding of all this. Trend. Yeah, and that's another layer deep. Oh, um, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's- you know, I can NFTs see some- are like getting crazy, aren't they? Oh yeah. So like, NFTs are just unhinged, just <laughs> greed and- parasitical nature to its max is what I view them as. Now, there is some edge cases where I can see NFTs funding like artists and some good things from them. But the general NFT space, I'm not that big of a fan of. You know, I'm, I'm never a hater, but I'm not that big of a fan of it. I, don't, I would never recommend anyone. I don't spend my time talking to people about it. Because like you said at the beginning, Bitcoin is very philosophical to me and I'm really here to change the world through a monetary way. And I've looked at everything I could do in my life to try to change the world we're in. And the most potent way I could think of to do it was to simply buy Bitcoin. Because if everyone did that or a good, not even everyone, just a small percentage of people did that, we're going to revolutionize it. We're going to revolutionize the world. We're going to change things. So the problem I saw with the world, it's become a popular saying now, but this is kind of the way I thought before it was, I heard it, is the debasement of the dollar brought upon like easy money, easy times. Like we don't really have to do much in our lives right now. We, we don't have that many stress factors or like hard things we have to do. We live in a time of easy. So easy times create weak people. And I think we can all look around and see that as a civilization, we're, we're getting kind of weak. Um, and I want hard times to create strong people again. And I think we're headed for hard times financially. The dollar system, if you look at it in reference to all other fiat currencies that have ever existed, not one of them still exists. Every one of them has failed. I mean, there are some around the earth right now, but they're failing. Look at Venezuela, their currency is failing. The dollar is just the global reserve fiat currency. So it's going to be the last to go. And I don't want to say it's going to go. Um, I don't want to make any predictions like that. But there's no way in hell I will keep my life savings in a system that can be debased by bureaucrats that are unelected by me. And so that's kind of the motivation for me. Yeah, yeah it brings man. it brings a sense of pride. It brings a sense of self reliance. It brings self sovereignty. Um, this country was founded on the principle of self sovereignty. And you know, the other day at when you're eating. Uh, one of the guys there was like, Bitcoin sounds American as fuck. And I was like, yeah, it is. 
it's really founded in really strong moral principles. Um, it will, if you really understand Bitcoin and become a Bitcoiner, it'll change your life. It will change the way you view your time. It will change the way you think about money. Um, so many people who are terrible with finances um, come into Bitcoin and all of a sudden they're saving. They're saving money. People who never saved before will come in and start saving money and it's addictive. They want to save. They have a vision for the future. They're looking out on the long time horizon. They're not stuck in this high time prince, high time preference mentality of what we have today, which is this instant gratification culture where we consume things now. We want easy money. We want things now. Um, we want our Amazon package here today. Like Bitcoin will teach you, it will shift your time horizon from what it is now, which most of us are in a high time preference society. Like you look at a dog, they're high time preference to the core. You look at most animals, they're high time preference. Humans have the ability to be low time preference and we've lost that. And Bitcoin will bring about low time preference. And that's looking for the future. That's looking out for your children. That's raising a family. That's doing things the right way, even though they take a long time. It's, it's an investment. And to me, that kind of high time or that low time preference behavior will change you as a person. It will change society. It will bring about better morals. And, and that's kind of the way I see Bitcoin changing the world. And only that, it's going to shift the power structures because everyone knows that the, the dollar is, is pretty much centralized and controlled by the Federal Reserve. And there's just a couple figures up there pulling a couple strings that can literally change the, the course of um, the future for all of us financially. Just like right now, Jerome Powell's sitting there deciding if he wants to raise interest rates or not. And the whole world's watching this one person and all these stocks and all these equities are going to either plunge or go up from the voice of one man. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, I'm happy we're talking about this. Yeah, so if you took anything away from that, Try to try to think about your time horizon and the type of a delayed gratification is how it's, it can be rephrased in a way or mm -hmm. differently phrased. I mean, I, I I like that the time preference, high or low time preference, but delayed gratification just like on way beyond, and that's why we're. I think why I want to have this conversation is because how Bitcoin carries over to all things in a way, mm -hmm. like how you can make a metaphor about it in almost any way. And the delayed gratification, that's a big thing for most people's success for the way I understand psychological development studies. Like when a child is more prone to delayed gratification, they're much more likely to succeed in whatever they... Well, it all boils down to the marshmallow experiment. Yeah, that, you're there. When you that. go to a kid and you say, do you want one marshmallow now or two later? <laughs> Bitcoin will teach you that you want the two later. Uh, yeah. You can delay that gratification. And you can look out to the future. You know, when I grew up and going and I went to school, I didn't learn anything about money or taxes. I learned that all from my parents. Right? They don't society doesn't teach you about that stuff. Yeah, that's strange. And in my opinion, the foundation, the base layer of society and civilization is built on a sound money system. And that has been gold for a long time. And you can kind of see the the parallels between kind of in the later part of the 1900s, we debase the dollar. It's the, it's the base layer of civilization. It's the economic force of which everything is done with. You, del you, you debase the currency, you start debasing the morals. You start giving people high time preference. And now we're stuck in this, this kind of 
what we are today. Like during COVID, we printed 35% of all dollars that exist. Really? It might be even higher than that. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's so in a, that's 2021, a good, that's a good meme. Like yeah. people understand if that's true. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you hear this, 35% or something around there, it might even be higher, of all dollars that have ever existed were created in 2021. Hmm. And understand this, there'll never be enough dollars to pay back all the debt. So if they print money to try to pay off the debt, it just debt annihilates money and there's not enough money to pay off all the debt. So we live in a f- kind of a fake system and I've never been comfortable with that because I'm very, very morally based and there's always been a problem internally with me that we can live on this, this system of dollars and it's not based relative to anything. It's, it's so anti-moral to me. Wow. And that's, that's not normal. I mean, okay, it is normal. So kind of the, the crash course of what a civilization goes through is a civilization has sprung up because of good money. And to simplify the Roman Empire, they came about and they had gold coins, right? They had a gold coin or gold economy. And then over time, as, you know, as social programs grew, the army grew, they had to fund larger armies to take over things. Well, they couldn't just go... Uh, create a bunch of gold, they had to go out and get it. And that's really mm-hmm. hard work. That takes a mm-hmm. lot of energy. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of capital. It takes a lot of um, just effort to get that gold out of the ground. So what they did over time was they took all the coins and they threw in a, they melted it down and threw in a copper ingot in there. They threw it into the molten metal and boom, out comes 10% more gold coins. But they're not gold. They're 90% gold. And that cycle went on and eventually you're carrying around a copper coin and then Gresham law kicks in. Gresham law is when people know to hoard things that are more valuable. And so people started hoarding the gold coins and really spending the copper coins because they knew they were worthless. And eventually they just inflated their money and, you know, there goes the Roman empire. And this has happened time after time through many civilizations. It starts on a, a sound money system. It gets debased and then it fails. Hmm. And there's really no reason to think it won't happen again with the dollar, except we're in a whole new world this time. We're in a globalized uh, system where the dollar is literally a global reserve asset that's never been done before. And so this time just going to be different. What does that even mean, global reserve asset? So every other country, like the euro, the Canadian dollar, the peso, the boulevard, all these other the currencies, mm-hmm. they're all fiat. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm aware, maybe someone can educate me, but I don't think there's any currency on the earth today that is soundly based on gold. In other words, there's a currency out there that's it. There's an equivalent amount of gold sitting in a vault somewhere. I don't think there's any system like that. What they're all relative to today is the dollar because the dollar is propped up by two things. It's the military and oil. And... You know, this is a big conversation too, but essentially that's called the petrodollar. And the, the petrodollar was kind of formed when we strong-armed the Middle East to do global exchange of oil in dollars, which made it a global reserve currency. So every other currency is relative to the dollar. So at the end of the day, everybody wants dollars because it is the backbone of monetary fiat in the world. And then Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin's the new one here. And Bitcoin is now emerging as the backbone to the dollar. And, you know, it's kind of like going back to the altcoins. We have this dollar that's a global reserve currency and all these other fiat currencies are built around it. But if one of these fiat currencies fails or just does something, I mean, only the people of that country are really hurt. It, it's not the basis to which everything else is related to. The dollar is. And in the crypto world, I don't really like using that word, but in the Bitcoin realm, all these other coins are always relative to Bitcoin. There's always going to be the underlying relativity to Bitcoin to which it's converted. You can convert any coin to Bitcoin. So it's like, why would you just not own Bitcoin? I can see some reasons why people like altcoins and like little projects. I don't think there's anything wrong with them, but I'm after a new money system. I'm after a brand new monetary policy and a new system and there's no competitor to it like ethereum's not competing for a monetary asset class it's competing for this web 3 web 3.0 so what stuff. would all these because you know i'm such a novice in all this like what would all these people these uh, whoever these third party guru the owner i don't know who the ethereum Mm-hmm. Third-party people. What would, they, what would what you say? Vitalik Buterin. He's the okay. creator of Ethereum. Okay. So, and then what would he? What would he be? What would his counter argument to all this be? Well, that like, would he say like, oh yeah, I agree with everything you're saying, or would he be like, no, no? There would be some heavy debate. Um, there's a big philo- philosophical divide, and I think it comes down to the fact that we're trying to create Bitcoiners are trying to create a money system that's going to last a thousand years. Uh. I don't quite know what they would say. Um, I think they would try to defend anyone that's ever tried to defend an altcoin to me. I can just I can just tell by the way they talk about it. They don't quite fully understand what we're after. They don't fully understand Bitcoin. They'll say things like, "Oh, Bitcoin's too slow. It's it's transaction speed's too slow." That's because they want to do like a little edgy day yeah, trading and, or, or, or trading, right? Well, and what, look at all of us inherently. We want to make money. Who doesn't want to get rich and make money? There's so many opportunities out there to make a new coin, convince a bunch of suckers to come in and give your money, and boom, you're rich. I get it. I bought my fair share of altcoins, and I, I mean, with the idea that I was going to convert them to Bitcoin. Now, there is a there is a spot for altcoins, and these are more akin to like the fiat currencies we have today. There can be a bunch of different other coins that people use. But my whole thing is that I look at it from 10,000 miles up and I'm like, Bitcoin is the relative basis. It's like when um, Einstein created the general theory of relativity, he, he postulated and proved that there's always a reference plane to which everything else is related to. If you want to know something about physics, it has to be framed in a relative manner to something else. You can't talk about this hat without framing it in the environment it's in. There has to be a reference to it. And so Bitcoin is that reference. It is the, the sole arbiter of truth. It is, Bitcoin's essentially a truth machine. Humans have finally invented a truth machine. Bitcoin can't lie. It sits there and it tells the truth no matter what coercion it has, no matter how many tanks the military points at it, how many guns are around it, how many other altcoiners have opinions about it, how many people hate it, don't like it, want it to, how many people think it's a Ponzi scheme, whatever it may be. Bitcoin sits there and does its thing. It's a protocol. It is, 
it's just stoic in its nature and it just sits there and works. All right, so I'm gonna to aim to ask some of the most basic questions here now that we've gone this deep with it, just to make sure, like what is, is this, uh, what is Bitcoin physically? So that's an interesting question since you framed it as physically, because it can be physical. So Bitcoin is a decentralized and distributed digital currency that, let me rephrase that. Bitcoin is a decentralized and distributed protocol it can be used as a currency. It is a, a protocol that has been decentralized, that doesn't have any third party that controls it. There's no clearinghouse at the end of the day that everything has to go through and be checked off by a centralized third party. It doesn't have any owners. Um, it's immutable. It's run kind of as a peer-to-peer -peer network. It can't be tampered with. Um, it is kind of the most hardened piece of software that the world has ever had and it's backed by the biggest computing network that's ever been on this earth by a huge landslide the computational strength behind bitcoin is enormous and so that is that's kind of what bitcoin is it's kind of hard to define it in terms we have today because like, like in the gold, in the metaphor of gold, like what's the golden? Where is there a gold? So, yeah, Bitcoin is the digital gold, and it's it's analogous to gold because it's scarce. You can't just create more of it. You have to do this incredible process that takes an incredible amount of energy and work to create new bitcoins, and it's a big competition. It's completely fair, and. Um, that's how you create it. Just like gold mining, you have to go out, like I've said several times, and do the work to get the gold. And so people call it gold 2.0 or digital gold, or you even call it. It's it's a way to. It's I, like, I just didn't know if there was something physical tied to Bitcoin at all. Well, the physicality Physi of it is that it has <laughs> like actually a, like a substance someone can hold. Well, it it's where that's where it gets really interesting. So. <laughs> You can make your Bitcoin physical, but it's, it's actually a digital thing, but you can actually make your private key physical oh, and it's a, yeah. it turns into a bearer asset. Like when I hand you a, a gold coin, that gold coin is instantly transferred to you. It's yours. It's in the universe. That coin just transferred to you. It's nowhere else. So if you, if you use Bitcoin in a way where you make your private key and etch the key into a piece of aluminum. You generate a receiving address from that. You send Bitcoin to it. In all of the entirety of the whole universe, the Bitcoin physically is on this seed plate, this mm -hmm. piece of aluminum where you wrote down your private key. Now, I can go give that to you. It's no longer in my control. You own it. So it's a physical thing. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around how that's, but that's a risk like meaning if someone like that burned in a fire they would lose all that yeah, well, yeah so the, it's kind of I mean, like that's a risk I mean, yeah it's like cashing it's, <sighs> you leave your wallet on a park bench with a hundred dollar bill in it someone takes a hundred dollar bill it's gone or it burns up it's gone yeah i guess i just know if some people that um like you like you sounds like you love to do as well as put a lot of their savings into bitcoin but if it's on that physical key and you know wildfires like a lot of times when i hear about wildfires and people everyone's fine everything was easy and everyone's fine and like insurance covered their house and all that i'm like wow wow N thank god everyone's okay 
Yeah. And I and then and like you know a lot of stuff can be replaced, but if you have a, one of those things that burn, so that's where it comes down to responsibility. <laughs> so I, you know I think I mentioned to you the other night that owning a Bitcoin private wallet, like a seed on your own, is kind of the most responsibility a lot of us will undertake, other than like raising kids, like and having a family, because all of a sudden. You grew up in this world where everyone else takes care of everything for you. Your money is in a bank. They take care of everything. Your money is in fidelity.com. They take care of everything. You don't have to worry about it. If it gets hacked, there's some insurance policy that does it. When you have your own private key, it's you, 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 and you. There's no 1-800 number. You better learn the responsibility. And that responsibility scales with how much value it has. If you have $10 in Bitcoin sitting on your private key, well, who gives a shit if it burns up in the fire? It sucks. But you lost, you lost that fraction of a Bitcoin, you know, and that's gone forever. If you have a million dollars sitting on this private key and it's just in one spot, well, you're a fool that you don't have it backed up because you can make copies of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But keep in mind that if anyone else sees that, they, you know, if they're not, yeah, how accessible is that? hundred percent accessible. If you walk and find someone's private key, you can take it as your own. Wow. Just like cash. Wow. Wild, wild west, baby. Yeah. Bitcoin is the wild west right now. Goodness gracious. You know, and back to physicality, um, Bitcoin is backed by millions of silicone wafers sitting around the world (laughs) buzzing right now. There's a physical component to Bitcoin called mining. And these computers, these physical machines that consume real electricity that's being generated through whatever source is backing the entire network. And the, the Bitcoin network is so large now that it's, I don't know the multiple of how big it is, bigger than the biggest supercomputer, but it's 1,000 times, 10,000 times, 100,000 times bigger than the fastest supercomputer. That's probably understating it. You know, right now we're sitting with the Bitcoin hash rate at like 150 exahash. That's 10 to the 12 power. You're getting in a number so large that it's kind of mind-numbing to think about, but what you need to take away from it is that the higher the hash rate goes, the more secure the protocol is. It's it's impossible. I, I don't I like using that word, but I don't know if a better word. It's impossible to hack the Bitcoin. Never happened. Don't think it ever will. So yeah, there's a there's a an enormous grid of computers around the world that solve this problem. And when you win that solution, you get the one-time privilege of a Coinbase. And a Coinbase is you get to create new Bitcoins you get to just all of a sudden uh, emit, emit new Bitcoins into circulation in a very controlled manner. Right now, you get 6.25 Bitcoins if you win the block reward. Every 10 minutes, someone gets that. Okay. Now, this is like where, you know, usually in a um, conversation, we would say like, well, go to this website and use this link or use this like code. Yeah, so you can go to like Bitcoin.org. Yeah. Or just go Google like Bitcoin. I'm saying like there's no, like you own Bitcoin. It's a, it's, there's a weird little paradox here because like a lot of people that promote things online through podcasts would be like, uh, let's just say, use a network marketing company, for instance. And they have an affiliate link so yeah. they get a commission on yeah, the sale. Sure. But instead, in, you own Bitcoin. Like you're like an owner in the company. Like, like, it's, like, essentially, I'm just trying yeah. to like tie you, different metaphors for people that are like maybe still lost in the woods of all the details. There's a lot of details. And this conversation has kind of been like a shotgun approach. 
Yeah, oh, like yeah. there's all, we're Come coming on, in from all different normal, angles. Baby. Yeah, let's, let's throw some paint on the the uh, the whiteboard and let's see what sticks for who. Exactly, and my you know my goal of, in what I say is that hopefully some ears light up somewhere and they just start they take that and go down that avenue and learn about it. But to answer your question, yeah, there's no affiliate link here. There's <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. That's you know, so there's fun. I like that element personally a lot. Yeah, there's me giving you the best advice you can ever take <laughs> to your future self is to get Bitcoin now. And then start understanding it. Like start, go tonight, start learning about Bitcoin, get some. I don't care if it's on a centralized exchange, keep it on there for a while until you feel confident enough to be a self-sovereign individual. And you can own it yourself. And it doesn't all have to That's be like that. It's a big call-up, self-sovereign individual. Is there like is there a de- is there parameters for someone to call themselves a self-sovereign individual? Owning your own private keys. You're self-sovereign. Okay. Yeah. That's in the Bitcoin world, meaning, yeah. right? Because there's I guess there's so many iterations of that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what if this? What if the city water water turned off tomorrow? Do you, do you they're listening, know where to get water from? Yeah, that's a good question. That's yeah. another layer of self sovereignty. And when you become a Bitcoiner like that, it kind of bleeds into all aspects of your life. Like the water question. Since I become a Bitcoiner, I have several methods to get water if the city water goes out. I have. Berkey filters. I have probably like 10 years of filtration on my Berkey system. I have my own um, shallow well. I have uh, a rainwater catchment. I have um, irrigation water from the city that the property I bought has water rights. Um, yeah, so I start thinking about go. all these open, kind of things. Open about seven more rabbit trails right there. Oh, so many. I bet there's a lot of rabbits in your property. I or no? No, actually, there's a lot of here. I'm projecting. Yeah. Oh yeah, when I when I used to live in Boulder, there's rabbits everywhere around here, but there's not that many in Boulder or Longmont. I've seen a few, but not that many. Mm-hmm. We're in a rabbit friendly zone right here. <laughs> rabbits is like the rabbit and the hare. Yeah, the kind of back to the conversation of the the. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, the Bitcoin conversation goes deep, and it really is. It's very like philosophical, but it's actually real. Um, yeah, another thing that I kind of want to hit home about is that I kind of mentioned the Bitcoin software is kind of the most hardened piece of software that exists today. And it is because the code, it's physical software that runs Bitcoin. And the software is nothing but a set of rules that says what can and cannot be done in Bitcoin. It says, oh, there will forever be 21 million coins. Oh, the time between blocks will be 10 minutes. Oh, the block reward will start at 50 every uh, four years, roughly, it will have. So every four years, the reward to miners halves. It goes from 50, four years later, to 25, to 12 and a half. And today we're sitting at 6.25. So it has a controlled um, issuance. The emission rate of new coins is controlled by algorithms, not by humans. It is set in stone. The chairman of the Federal Reserve can't do anything about it. President Biden can't do anything about it. North Korea can't do anything about it. Nobody can change it. And that's what makes the system so elegant. <sighs> wow, man, thank you. Thank you. You know, this is like a great, I have a feeling a lot of people will be, this is very illuminating yeah, I mean, for you, people that are in it and probably not in it. And one thing I wanted to talk about too was circling it back because you mentioned Biden there. And I see you, I see you in your shirt. <laughs> I will not comply. And I, I mentioned to my brother like how what I was doing this evening 
And he, Tim, uh, my brother Timothy was like, I love, he's like, did he quit? He, or he stopped working. You know, you said he resigned or did he quit his job? He said, did he quit his job because of the vaccine? He's like, I love hearing that. Yeah. And that's Re- what, resigned, but yeah. Yeah. What do you, I mean, there's a lot, are people still in that situation? It seems like they're, I don't even know where the, I don't even know where the, these weird ass mandates are at anymore. I hear them like keep switching from country to country at different times. So like, what's this? I don't even know what the terms of employment are people, but if someone is sitting in their seats, if they're still sitting in that seats or, and, or if they already did the vaccine and they're maybe questioning it and, or if they're full gung ho, you have anything to say about all these things? This I mean, just, I was, this is a closing thing because yeah. I know that's on a lot of people's minds. I feel like a lot of people are fishing in podcasts just for that topic alone. Or like, are they going to talk about what currently is going on? Well, so I had about 150 people at my company and there was only about four of us who had a problem with it. And I really think it came down to people were coerced into it because they were looking at their job, losing their job and not being able to provide security for the family. And so they, you know, they did what they had to do and they went and got it. And, you know, I had a, a different way out, um, you know, thanks to Bitcoin. I had been planning this for a long time. So I was able to say no, which my heart really told me to. And so my company, you know, is very, I don't like to use the word, but liberally oriented. The management there really wanted to do their own vaccine mandate. And this happened before Biden's executive order. And so I was kind of being forced to like do the vaccine thing before Biden's executive order. But before Biden came and opened his mouth, I was going to be fine working at home as a remote contractor and still, you know, contributing to the economy and stuff. But Biden came in and said, no, you can't do that. And I was like, well, that's bullshit because you didn't get anyone to side with you. You just came out and said this. Mm -hmm. So I got let go, resigned. And then a few months went by and that order got smashed in what was it? Congress? Oh, so the order that that <laughs> catalyzed you leaving yeah, is, is now not even existent? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. This it's is insane. Nuts. But this here's like, the catcher. It's like the spike. It's like there's like there's so many little different <laughs> valleys and tunnels the of this. Uh, <laughs> what about the bridge? You got a spike protein uh, in the fridge. Uh, do you know who drew that? Did my Davina <laughs> drew that. My but daughter drew that. In Colorado. That's kind of look like so what I, hi- <laughs> I hired an attorney to go through this with me because... I didn't want to go down without a fight. Like if I was going to be let go and be forced to resign, I wanted to stick my legal fist into their face as hard as I could. And so I hired an attorney and it turns out someone who was unvaccinated in Colorado has no rights. It's not like being, you know, there's sex is a right. Your, your, your orientation or your, your color of your skin, that's a right, right? You're protected by the law through that. But being unvaccinated... No, no, you can be stereotyped and segregated as much as you want. And Colorado is an at-will employee state. And so the CEO of my company could come in at any point and say, everyone has to have blonde hair or else you're fired. And we have to do that. If, if I choose to have black hair or something, I can be terminated. What's solely based on the at-will at at employment. At-will employment, wow. But if the CEO came in and said, every female has to dye their hair pink, that's a protected right. Because the female, that will not fly. Or sex. every black person has to wear white shoes or something. That will not fly because it's a protective class. But vaccines, nope. So what I'm getting at is that my an employer here in Colorado, and I think a lot of other states, can have their own vaccine mandate and do what they did. So a long story short is that the way I understand it, the federal vaccine mandate has lost its ground. 
and they try to do that through OSHA. Um, they try to enforce the vaccine mandate through OSHA. And as far as I'm aware, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it failed and collapsed. But individual employers can impose their own vaccine mandate. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've seen people taking their freedoms in all kinds of interesting ways, just around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. just around the neighborhood. Some people, you know, they don't do the, they don't they don't do any of this stuff. Yeah, and they have they have I've seen some like um, harmonizing, I would say harmonizing or synergizing or alchemizing, but like they put the signs in like funny little hidden spots because I guess they have people that like come um, and. Harass them or hound them. Like what the mask signs? The sign, yeah, that you need to have a sign. Signage. Mm-hmm. I is, guess. Yeah. Signage is maybe important, but then I've seen some places don't don't even have signage. I'm like, is it? Where is it hidden? Yeah, exactly. I'm you got to look around. Yeah. yeah. When I always look, I'm like, does it say mask please or mask required? Oh yeah, there's that too. And, yeah, there's a little, there's a weird fun element to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of scary elements. And for this. me, yeah, I, I don't scary. care if it says required. I will go in without a mask. And if you want me to leave your business, you pretty much have to force me out. I'll wear one to take my daughter to the, uh, to the doctor's office or whatnot. Or, you know, there's some places. There's some sense, like the doctors and dentists, you know, like a dentist, I can see why the dentist would not want to be exposed to everyone's breath every day. Yeah. Well, and then the good thing they, about masks at a dentist is, you know, it cuts down on bad breath. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying there, there is like a, there used to be a sensible way to wear a mask. But mm-hmm. the, also at that same time, if you walked into a bank or a liquor store yeah, with a mask on, I would expect trouble. Yeah. And without, I actually, without one. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? You mean if you walked into a bank or a liquor store with a mask on before COVID? Yeah. Yeah. yeah then you, you look like you're going to rob oh, the place. Yeah, oh, I'd be like, that's mm-hmm. alarming. Mm-hmm. Alarming. Yeah, and they're totally normalized now. And I don't like that. I personally do not like going into places like banks, for instance, and everyone's wearing a mask. I just went uh, to the grocery store before I came here. (laughs) Big mask required sign. I I don't ever wear a mask there. And I walk in and I see another guy. Actually, I see an older woman and a younger guy my age without a mask. And I I look to them and I say, hey, it's nice to see your face. And they looked and they was like, yeah, it's nice to see your face. And that's great because otherwise I would just never say anything to anyone in the store. Which grocery store? Safeway in Longmont. Oh, nice. Yeah, Safeway seemed pretty safe. Oh, but the, my, my favorite is to go to Whole Foods and they have an employee sitting there at the front of the door with a little basket of masks <laughs> and they're looking for people like me. <laughs> and I think they know me now because they say, sir, do you need a mask? And I say, oh, no, thanks. And then I just take off into the store. And one time, one of the employees kind of like chased me. Ooh. And then I booked it around the aisles, oh, escaped, man. got my oh, shopping man. done. Oh, man. Yeah. They just can't say you're right. They can't. I mean, <laughs> oh, God. That conversation could just be, that's a whole book in itself. It's just the oh, dynamics I, of that situation. I know that there's some people out there, probably not people listening to this, but just hate me for that. And you know, I'm not doing it out of disrespect. I'm doing it to exercise my freedom of choice. And I know it's a private establishment and they have every right to do what they want and I support that. But if they don't like it so much, they can escort me out. And my, where my money goes in the last two years has completely changed. You know, other than like, I still buy things on Amazon. I still buy things at Home Depot, which is always like a, uh, they just provide such good service. But I go to places that are cool without masks and they're getting more of my business and if, if I have someone who doesn't say anything and there's a tip jar, they get a big tip from me. Well, you're not the, that's not the first time I heard this today. I was just talking to my dad and I was telling him about going to the specific grocery store that we love that I guess I'm not going to say the name anymore because he even like, and my dad's not that crazy about this. My dad's pretty chill, but yeah. he's like, I know I don't like to go in there. And I'm like, what? 
what the heck are you talking about? Because like, I was wanting to see if they wanted to sell tribe vitamins. And he was like, no, they just like are so serious about the mask thing. Like, oh, the mask, the mask. I'm like, are you joking me? I'm like, okay, good to know because I don't want to send anyone there. Yeah. So good to know. Yep. And I can't even believe they annoyed my dad. Like, if you annoyed my dad with the mask thing, you got it. Like, you, I guess you're maybe y'all are, whoever's doing that might be losing more customers than they think, especially me. And oh, I yeah. talk a lot. I talk a lot about like my favorite little restaurants and the restaurants that are like, nah, I can't go in there. I yeah. I can't go in there. They're like, no, yeah, there's a coffee shop in Longmont that I've been going to for a year and a half without a mask. And, you know, I can tell the, the employees behind the, the counter there don't want to wear it. They don't care if I have it on. And they always get a good tip from me because they never say anything. And I've never disrespectful, you know, I wouldn't go in there if I was sick this, these kind of days anyways. But the, the holiday or not the holiday, the, there's an event happening in Longmont that's like a January event in a park where they have all this music and they have beer and it's like a fenced area that I've gone to for, I think, two years in a row now. And we just found out today, my wife and I are looking at going and we're making plans with our kids and some friends and my uh, relatives. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. My mother and father Yeah, it sounds like a place I would go to. I'm like, sure. Yeah, yeah, sounds, we, yeah. We're all ready to go and then, oh, it requires proof of vaccination. Oh, well, that's like, that's so, a hard no. It's a hard no. And I am happy to not divert my money to there because you vote with your money. And this kind of ties back into Bitcoin. When you use dollars, I'm not saying don't use dollars. I'm not saying you, you don't have to. And I'm not saying I don't. I use them all the time. But when you use dollars, you're making a vote. Like, even if it's insignificant, you're still making a vote. Like, if you're not- yeah, that's Yeah, that's my whole, the whole matrix. Like, when I ever get to the conversation of the matrix, I'm like, well, I definitely know I'm in it because I use money. Mm-hmm. That's like I'm like that's how I know I'm in the matrix. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's a red pill or blue pill comment. So, <laughs> but so I'm like I, I'm in the matrix. I, here I am. Like so, look at my life. It's revolved around this. Do- like so much of this dollar bill is important with it. Yeah. So my goal would be to orange pill you. <laughs> now that's what we say in the Bitcoin community. Like you know, there's the, the blue pill, pill, there's the red pill, that, and there's on. the orange pill that is superior, right? Um, because it actually is the real pill you can take today, and it. If you want to make potent change for your future, buy Bitcoin. And if you're concerned about the electricity consumption of Bitcoin and the environmental environmental impacts of the electricity being consumed, you need to reframe your thought around how energy is created, distributed, and consumed. Because um, the narrative the mainstream media gives you about the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining is mostly false. I just want to throw that out there. I mean, a lot of mainstream people, narrative from mainstream media sources being not completely yeah. accurate seem quite normal to me. Oh, yeah, they always like unfortunately or not. They always like to say, "Oh, Bitcoin uses as much energy as Mongolia." They always like to frame it as using as much energy as a country. Oh, uh, Mongolia! So, I've never been to Mongolia. Have you ever? Been there? Uh-uh. Sounds fun. Every piece of like every amount of electricity the Bitcoin network consumes to me is worth it because it provides. Um, an open, transparent financial system for anyone on earth to use. All the unbanked people, the billions of unbanked people, have access to this new monetary system that can provide them freedom. And that's worth every ounce of electricity that is being used. And honestly, by the last numbers I read, it uses 0.25% of the total global net or total global energy consumption. Um, in other words, Christmas lights use more than Bitcoin a year. 0.25%? 0.25%. 0.25%. Yeah. 
And Christmas lights use more than Christmas 0. lights 0. use more. Of what? Of what's that? Of uh, total electric consumption. What the? Yeah. Craziness. So people like to, you know, people like to bark at Bitcoin uh, on a baseless perspective of how much I energy mean, 0. it uses. I mean, 0.25 is bigger than I was thinking. But I cannot believe Christmas lights use more. They than use that. a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I won't be happy until Bitcoin, you know, is up in the single digit percentages. <sighs> Wow, wow. Lots so, and of then, windows open. Lots oh yeah, of then, <laughs> shades open. Another thing is like... Windows look through, y'all. Okay, you're complaining about how much energy Bitcoin uses. Why don't you look at how much energy the legacy financial system uses? Why don't you, why don't you frame it in that? And then Bitcoin is a, is a serious upgrade to what we have. Why are we still wasting energy on the dollar system? What's the, what's the percent? Of I, don't, I don't know what it is, but... I. Th- Years ago, I saw an estimate of it like being a 10x, but now it's more probably more close since the Bitcoin network, the hash rate keeps just growing and growing and growing. Well, I man, I think we're we're oh yeah oh yeah I forget how I, I remember or I forget how pre, we probably broke normal on the recording time actually. Oh nice! And that horn, which was good because I like allowed my nervous system to. Had a little bit yeah, of like, down which a is good. Bit. Like, um, one of the best ways for me to calm my nervous system down is a little bit of forced listening. Hmm. And I was like, God, thank you for this opportunity to remember. Like, yeah, even if a horn, it's like a, it's like a practice round. It's like, okay, if I'm getting like nervous about that horn, what do I do to my? What do I do with my body and sit there with nervousness? Kind of like train it and become accustomed and, to it. And I think that one of the best things to do is listen. Yeah. So you gave me an opportunity. I was like listening and listening. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of amazing stuff. I mean, like, she's Louise. Yeah. And in my perspective, what I just said was, you know, barely skimming the surface of kind of the, what I want to provide people with. And, you know, if you can find a way to contact me, I, you know, right now I'm, you know, doing the whole stay at home dad thing. And I love nothing more than to talk about Bitcoin. And I don't, you know, I don't care for how long or who it is. I'll talk to Bitcoin with anyone. And so if you ever have questions. You yeah. remind me of my friend. He has a um, book coming out called The Psychedelic Christian. His name is Paul Reese. Yeah. And he has like a similar pitch about like, if you, have, if you want to talk about Jesus or the Bible. And he, and he left his phone number oh, on wow. the podcast. And then he told me about some of the conversations he had. And like um, the last time I talked to Paul, he may have said like one of the most fulfilling things of his life lately has been having these conversations with people. And uh-huh. Paul, you can you can let me know if this is true, if this resonates, but I think this is what I heard. With people from um, leaving his phone number on podcasts, including mine, but not only mine, not only mine. So I'm hmm. not trying to take credit. I'm just I'm just affirming the idea of yeah, not and not putting pressure <laughs> to for you to leave your phone number. But he did the ultimate, like weird thing of like leaving himself ultimately open about very taboo, you know, very taboo and personal and potentially life changing and meaning conversations. And I guess he got what he asked for. And I, I talked to him about it lately. He seems stoked and like kind of yeah, man. I've I've probably <laughs> my phone number, but I'll leave my email address. But some of the best people I've ever met is when I've got on Craigslist and decided to buy and sell Bitcoin with people in in face to face. I've met probably upwards of 50 different people in the last seven, eight years on Craigslist where, you know, everyone's like, careful, there might be a scammer trying to steal you or rob you. I'm like, I know, I always got, you know, I has got a knife in my pocket and I just in case I'm... And a couple pit bulls in the car. A couple pit bulls or meet in front of a police station. <laughs> but man, every person I've met who wants to know about Bitcoin is a really good person. And I've met some really great people. That's how I met Jeremy. 
I don't even know what that really means. Buy and sell in person. What do you even mean? In oh, person. well, if, like if you want, so if you, like you said, how do I get buy Bitcoin? I said, well, go on exchange and buy it. Well, I don't really do that because I'm into privacy and I don't, I don't go on exchanges and buy Bitcoin. I meet people face to face and I exchange with uh, fiat currency. So if say you wanted to buy Bitcoin, well, you could come to me and give me 50 bucks and I'll send you 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Okay. But you know, I'm not going to do that on a large scale of people because I don't want to become a money service business. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a fine line there. Like if I had a hundred people coming to me buying Bitcoin, I turn into a money service business and that's like jail time if I'm not registered and licensed. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's just on like, a, like selling an item on Craigslist. Like the first Bitcoin I ever bought was I met a guy in Boulder at a Safeway here and I just sat there and we ended up talking for like hours about Bitcoin and I bought like 20 bucks of Bitcoin from him. Wow. Yeah, and I met a connection, you know, for a long time and I met so many good people that way. Um, but in terms of leaving an email, I'll leave my email address at, uh, and I'm open for anyone to contact me about Bitcoin. So, it's, oh, yeah, please do. It's Rob Toto Reb at protonmail.com. That's R O B T O T O R E B at protonmail.com. So if you feel inclined, hit me up and I can answer any question you have. I heard that pretty good there. Um, the, the name, and I was going to say we could leave it in the show notes as well. So, yeah. Thanks for uh, leaving that open. I, I love that. I mean, that just really thickens the plot. Oh, yeah. Well, of yeah this whole situation that I'm in. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, that's a synchronicity. Let me do a podcast about that. Yep. And then, then I hear all these crazy stories afterwards. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. It's more like a yes. It's really oh, yeah, man. We can make this podcast go, podcast go for six hours. <laughs> if I had some more water. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have plenty. I have plenty of spring water here. I can get you some water. Nice. And and I do uh, respect respect to not only the creative constraint that we I have sort of built into the Breaking Normal podcast meant to be broken at the right time. So thank you for probably going over an hour and eleven minutes with me. I'm pretty certain we did that. Um, just keep breaking normal, and I'm gonna go look at this horn with you. That's cool. That horn Let's gave me a little like I, I kind of want to sleep deep tonight. Well, let's, let's look that at horn it. is going off like that. I'm like, I'm running to get that yeah, most likely somewhere it's, or like clip something. Holy moly. Yeah, most likely it's all tucked up in the, the hood somewhere. Hard to get to. We'll see what we can do. Well, steering columns aren't the easiest thing to take apart. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for like your passion. Thanks for your devotion. And um, yeah, like doing it, walking the talk. I'm like excited to see what you're doing. With the, especially with all the water talk, like the physical. Yep. You know, I asked about the physical. I'm like, oh, you got like a wet, shallow well. Let's go look at that. Oh, yeah. We have an acre with a greenhouse and, you know, we have self reliance and, you know, kind of prepping is a core philosophy of mine. Yeah. Prepping's kind of got dragging through the mud. It's like these crazy people who prep for apocalypse, but we should all be preppers. We should all be prepping for something. Hmm. You know, prepping kind of ties hand in hand with the whole time preference thing and that's where it does tie into like that's like what you and paul have in common mm-hmm. i don't know what your religious beliefs are or anything and that's a whole other thing but i mean that's <laughs> like a very you know those are just like two two different ways of doing it in a way yeah and i love i love exploring both like man prepping prepping psychologically spiritually that's the thing it doesn't have to be physical mentally emotionally these are i mean then it goes like to the anti-fragile ideas. Exactly. I mean, gosh, Lee. Bitcoin for- is <laughs> it is the most anti-fragile machine we've ever built. Like if you want to talk about anti-fragility, it is the most anti-fragility system that exists. 
the author of that book, there's a book called Anti Fragile, right? Yeah. Does um, he resonate with that? You think with the Bitcoin? I'm curious. I, yeah, he I, kind I of rage quit Bitcoin this year, actually. He did what? I forget his name, but he he raged quit the same. Yeah, Nassim Taleb or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quite ironic. He wrote a book called Anti Fragile, and he ended up being so fragile about Bitcoin in the end. Oh, he left it. Oh, he left it. Yeah, he couldn't handle the community because a lot of us are, a lot of us are, they call us toxic, and we're we're so firm on our discovery of Bitcoin that we just we just know, and some of us are not very friendly about it. <laughs> And that's why people call us toxic. And you I've know, never met him, but now I even want like it's even more intriguing the whole thing. Yeah, and I guess leave a note for the listeners: don't ever judge Bitcoin by the people involved in it because well, it's a protocol. Same, but and that's why evangel back to the beginning, evangelical. These are like the same things that go to like religion ideas or like yeah. Christianity ideas. Oh my god! Oh my god! Does that go for Christianity? Oh, for or sure. For any religion, really. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! All right, I'm going to make some bone broth and go look at this horn. All right, man. <laughs> All right, keep breaking normally, y'all. Oh, look at that. An hour and 11 minutes in our second recording, by the way. Oh, nice. Peace. Peace.